Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. All right. Hey, well, Howard Young, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? I can't complain. You know, Kentucky today, sunny and 65, so I am not mad about it. Oh, man, you stole our sun for sure. It is dreary. It was raining this morning. It is cold. Well, so. I hope it gets colder for you. <laughs> you guys kind of deserve it. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, it's we, we got a little little break in the weather. So any, anything new on the home front? How are you guys doing? Good. You know, the, the troops seem to be doing good. We had a, one of our gentlemen had an apprehension with a dog where he'd had a previous failed engagement and had a successful engagement. Last night, he is on cloud nine. Good. Well, maybe we can talk about that. We knew it was there. It just had to, the right pictures had to be in place and everything had to come together. And it was a similar scenario to the one where the dog kind of failed. So that was really encouraging too. Good, good. Glad things are going well. Well, hey, big week next week. Back to Philly. Yes. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Bunch of good guys up there. Really appreciate them having us up and should be, should be a good time. And we get to follow Eric Stanbro. Isn't that wonderful? Well, now that this is recorded, I'm I'm not sure that I'm. You know, <laughs> no, it, it'll be great. I'm sure he's having a good time up there. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna mess with him, but he's a he's a good dude. So, yeah, been, been very gracious to us as well, helping us get this thing started. So, we appreciate that. So today we have a gentleman that goes by A Rod sometimes, also known as Antonio Rodriguez. Antonio, how are you? I'm doing great. Coming to you from Paris, Texas. Well, we're sitting at about uh, 55 degrees, and the weather is good. You know, we've had some pretty crappy weather in the past uh, few months, you know, rain. And then we had, a, like, a blast of winter storm that came through. But, you know, as a transfer from, from Colorado, it's mm. it's not a bad situation. So no, everything's no, good no. here in Paris, Texas. Absolutely. Well, Antonio, how did you get into the dog world? So I, I enlisted in the Air Force in 1993. Uh, so I'm aging myself here, not not as uh, not as seasoned as as you, young gentlemen. But uh, <laughs> as I say, I got out in '95, so you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, '95. Uh, I came in in '93. Yeah, so I enlisted in the Air Force in '93, and uh, I was selected to 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 what? Well, came in, enlisted. Went to, I was a security forces member and then did all that for about four years. And then I went to canine school after a short period doing some other things as a law enforcement, you know, you know, member with, with security forces and, and doing things for weapons security and nuclear security, stuff like that. And then I uh, was selected to, uh, to, to canine school in uh, 1999 and Upon graduating from K-9 school, I was selected to stay there in San Antonio, Texas at their training center and train dogs. And so that was my my genesis or introduction to to the dog uh, training community in, in the the, the uh, condensed sense that it was more more of a, a military kind of environment as far as you know the, the needs for the military and the Department of Defense. But I was, I, I grew up in Southeast Michigan, and I, I brought this up in another podcast with, with Eric. You know, I grew up in Southeast Michigan as a kid, and we had, I uh, grew up on a farm, 
And so I was always intrigued by, um, you know, animal behavior. And we had dogs, we had horses, we had pigs and, you know, all kinds of livestock. So I was, that, that always fascinated me. And so I kind of think that that kind of drove me into, into uh, being, being a canine handler and a trainer. Very cool. Okay. So you're in a bit of a transition period. Tell us what you've been doing. So I recently resigned my position with a 10 special forces group. Uh, I was, I was their training advisor for that program for use of SOC U S army special operations program or special operations command. I was a training advisor for their uh, multi-purpose community program at Fort Carson, Colorado for 10 special forces group. Mm -hmm. So I resigned that position uh, recently in, in November to go on and, and grow or expand my other businesses and other, uh, consulting to go out there and do it. I, you know, I, I loved that job. It was, it was a great experience and I, uh, it gave me the opportunity to really expand my training, my training abilities and my ability to interact with, with, with different personalities. And, and it was, um, great experience and coming from the, the previous job that I, that I had working in the, in the, uh, department of Homeland security TSA program. It was a welcoming experience because uh, I was dealing with different uh, different personalities and more alpha type personalities that I, I was typically used to dealing with across my across my career in the in the industry. So um, I really enjoyed it. I take a lot from those engagements with with the handlers, with the trainers, uh, with other practitioners and, and craftsmen in the industry. Well, in that specific genre or, or skill set of uh, trading tier one, tier two. K-19 teams, I really took away a lot from, from um, understanding what their needs were, understanding different components and how they, how they do take care of business. And it's interesting because before then, and, you know, having conversations with people that, and I definitely, I didn't have a frame of reference, but uh, talking about, you know, about special forces dogs, special operations dogs, a lot of people said, oh, those are badass dogs. They, you know, they... You know, they, they attack people and and they're uh, super aggressive and and that's that's it, there's there's opposing thoughts in that because it's, that's not what it is. Right. Opposing, yeah, it's you're dealing with, a, you know, a, a very complex mission set and in dogs, they have to be it, it's social, social and being able to 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 do the job and, and do the mission. But, you know, you don't want, I mean, <laughs> apart from certain aspects of the special operations community, I mean, uh, we don't, we, we typically didn't get those dogs that were super aggressive that you had to really just, just hammer on because, you know, a mentor of mine always said like slaves make poor bodyguards, you know, a dog that you're going to pound on, you know, you don't want a dog, you want a dog to operate with enthusiasm and motivation. And at the end of the day, if you don't have a dog that's going to do that, you're, you're not creating the right conditions or the, the training, the training components to get them to, to do the job when they want to do it. So um, that was a blessing. And I, I really, um, I, I look at that experience as, as definitely a great opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that you're more inclined to find less social dogs in the environment that I work in because it's not really a necessity. I mean, obviously they have to be controlled, but they're not expected to work in groups of people. They're, you know, pretty much the handler and the, and the backups and the backups know to stay out of the way. So 
yeah, they're they're typically less social because we're not really working that element in either. So I, I feel like there is a need more and more to do that. I know that there have been there there's been an old school mentality that I think some handlers have had over the years, and that is, you know, I want this dog to be solely mine and I don't want, you know, he's he's my guy and I don't want anybody else to be able to handle him. And I that's a that's a huge misnomer that that's something that's that should happen. There needs to be situations where other people can manage that dog. I'm not saying that they should be able to, you know, direct that dog in any fashion, but they should be able to secure that that dog if it needs to be secured in the event that somebody gets hurt or and uh to be honest, we have some that we can't. We have some that we can. And um, now moving forward, I feel like there's more of a need to have that balanced dog that that can be managed. Well, it's well, it's never an issue right up until it's an issue. When you get hurt and someone else has to get your dog or, you know, are in, in that community that you're talking about with uh, sock, you know, a dog, an operator may have another operator may have to direct that dog back down the hallway. You know, because it's a it's a dynamic environment, and he's got to be able to take direction. And the last thing you want to do is get lit up in the same hallway that you're trying to work down, just because the dog is now, you know, somewhere we didn't think he was going to be. Because you know that that environment is it ebb and flows very quickly, and you know, being able to redirect the dog and or you know get out of the way and all, all it has to the dog has to be social. And I think that's a big misconception in that whole world that these dogs are just man eaters, and and they're not. There's social animals that work in groups and, and do the job that they're trained to do. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing to watch when it all comes together. Oh, it absolutely is. And that's, uh, you know, it gets my, a lot of the guys that I trained with, when I, when I, I would be like very vocal when I would see like a dog doing something like profoundly appealing to me. I would like mark it unintentionally with my, with my voice and my like, sure. <laughs> I would say like Yahtzee. Or I would say like something like, uh, and then, and, and uh, lo and behold, eventually, like some of the guys were saying, like my dog is like cueing off you. He like you're marking him when he's doing something good, and I'm like, oh man, I think you're right. You know, like I noticed that on several repetitions. Like I just need to keep my mouth shut. But it's so, <laughs> it is so, you know, the job satisfaction is there when you see the dogs perform the way you intended them to perform after investing you know it, it, it is an investment it's a mutual investment between the handler it's a it's an investment between the trainer and having that symbiotic relationship to where you guys where where i can um and my approach was i always came up with a strategy like if i didn't have buy-in from the handler and that was like 90 percent of the job was like getting buy-in like hey listen man i'm here to help you let's let's find a way that we can kind of collaborate on this and get you where you need to be and um and when you see those things, when you see those components converge, that was that was immensely satisfying for me to see when 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 that would happen. And so, like you're saying, like it's it, it's it's you're 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 training a skill set, a skill set that is one um, perishable, and that is uh, performance based, and and you need the dogs and the handlers to to perform in such a way to where they are um, they are they are committing 100% there, they're, you know, uniquely, uniquely getting this situation to where they are uh, under threat or, or, you know, that, that mindset, that stress, that anxiety is there. So they got to converge on their, 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 their muscle movements and all that to, to, to get the job done. 
and and when you have all that come together, it's it's very satisfying. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I it's funny you're talking about marking those behaviors. I, I think I probably do that to an extent. I'm re- I'm a relatively soft spoken person, but when I see things going the way they're 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 meant to go, I can't help but you know interact and have a reaction and those reactions. Oh. You know, the dog's taking all that in. It's kind of funny when we're talking about detection sometimes is, you know, you'll you'll see the uh, everybody gets real quiet as the dog oh, is yeah. zeroing in on the odor. Well, yeah. uh, obviously, the dog's picking up on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's all kinds of marks. And, and that's part of our presentation at uh, Blue Line is it's called On Your Mark. And it's really basically looking at conditioned reinforcers across the spectrum. Not just right. detection, but also in in bite work and, and so so forth. So, what would you say? I mean, did I hear? I heard you mention TSA, right? So you were kind of coming from a detection mindset to a full purpose, dual purpose dog when you moved into that position. Was that a little bit of an adjustment? Yes, it, it was an adjustment because it, it kind of took me back to things that I was more proficient in, but. I mean, I, I, I won't take away those opportunities that I spent with TSA because I learned a lot about substance detection from some some really get, great guys that are out there doing some good things out there in the, um, for lack of a better term, the uh, personal born detection, mm-hmm. detection dogs. And uh, what they call in the in TSA, they call them passenger screening canines. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that was just like, it was like, it, it blew my mind. It, it didn't. I knew about what, what, what was traditionally known as a vaporweight dog with mm-hmm. the, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, I don't know what you call it, trademark or register name or whatever the case may be that nobody can steal or take or whatever the case may be. Great um, marketing, great marketing yeah. on their part. <laughs> exactly. But then uh, understanding, you know, understanding the genesis of that program or the TSA program, Homeland Security, was really, a, it was a vaporweight program. You know, all those guys from Auburn, they, they, they're the ones that, that, that trained the initial dogs for that program. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. And I, and I know some of those guys as well. But understanding how they took that, you know, that, that foundational work and that, that standard or that, that, um, that, that training mechanism and then just, just crafted it to, to, to meet the needs of, of the transportation industry. And, and man, there's, there's some really there's some really great guys that are out there doing some some good things out there with that with that program, and again, you know, every program has their faults. You know, big government, you know, sticks their nose in things, and and I'm glad I can talk about this now. You know, at, at one point at, in the in in the across the nation, it, it turned into security theater. What I call it, you know, dogs that were not performing the way adequately the way they needed to were giving passes. Dogs that were were you know subpar uh, because of the the uh, federal government hiring infrastructure, where um, where handlers were giving passes, and it was all and, it, and I could say with a high degree of confidence that there was that there are you know there are pitfalls in that program. However, comma there are guys out there that are doing good things to try to to balance that out and, and bring it up to and putting out good products. But from my, from a, from a one dimensional standpoint, where I was standing at Denver International Airport, it was a bit disheartening coming from doing high threat protection, working at the embassies in Iraq and Afghanistan, doing all these things, and then you you know you segue that into 
having conversations about, you know, very needy Americans and, you know, the culture about like, I want to get through this checkpoint as fast as I can. And that you're trying to mitigate a threat, which is a, you know, a, a personal born explosive device. So there is a dance. There is a conversation that, that, uh, you know, that politicians and administrators need to have. And, and, um, I was always sticking to my guns, sticking to my guns, but not being, but being dip- diplomatic, I would say. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people would say, like, yeah, you're super diplomatic, era. But I was, I was cutting dogs loose left and right. I was like, yeah, that dog, get him out of here. That dog needs to go back. Bam, bam, bam. Because there, there is a, there is a threshold. You know, you know. At the end of the day, you got to look at yourself in the face or in the mirror and say, like, you know, did I, did I do my job today? Did, did I at least manage this process the best way I can? You know, control the controllables and some of the things you can't control. But that that was my experience in in the uh, national uh, NADTCP program and TSA. And I did have I did have some really good experiences. But I definitely once I uh, had the opportunity to move on to something else, I, I definitely I jumped on it. But I I jumped on it cautiously because I did I did go into the new position with with the uh, use of sock uh, in the way that look, look, there, there are, you know, as, as long as, as there's certain, certain components in there, there's certain, uh, the compensation's right, then, then we can have this conversation. So I, I did go into it cautiously, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Definitely. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Working Dog Depot podcast is brought to you by our title sponsor, Fox and Hound. Fox and Hound has spent years creating the perfect formulas that are safe for our pups and contain many natural ingredients. They develop the highest quality of products for all dogs and products for all dog lovers and their homes. Products range from scented candles to dog shampoo, flea and tick spray, stain remover, paw balm, and dog cologne. They've even developed a line for working dogs and their handlers. For you folks who are required to wear a vest while on duty, you should check out their vest spray. Folks, the Young Home has fox and hound products in every room. For me, it's really quite simple. The products are great, and they're made by great people. Order online at shopfoxandhound.com or follow an order on Instagram at shopfoxandhound. For a 15% discount, use the WDDP discount code. Remember, man's best friend deserves dog's best products. Here at Working Dog Depot, we're pleased to make an extra special announcement. Fox and Hound Canine Foundation will be hosting their first celebration event with a fun-filled day meeting canine teams from across the country in an incredible atmosphere on Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri. On June 3rd, fun for the whole family will start at 12 noon. Included in the day of events are special canine demonstrations, raffles, a silent auction, vendor booths, balloon artists, live entertainment, and music. Later on in the evening, you're invited and encouraged to join in the gala event starting at 6. You can purchase an entire table or individual seating as you see fit. Enjoy an open bar, which will transition into a cash bar a little bit later in the evening. Also included are a silent auction, music, special private canine demonstrations, and VIP guest appearances. A detailed agenda will be forthcoming as the event date draws closer. We know that the folks at Fox and Hound, our title sponsor, have a huge heart for canines and their handlers. It's important to know that all proceeds that are raised by their fantastic Canine Foundation event go to assist canine teams by providing funding, equipment, supplies, 
paid canine medical expenses, canine handler education, and specialty training for active and retired canines. Don't miss out on this super opportunity to network. Have some fun and support a wonderful cause. We hope to see you there. Well, it's a, you know, for for me, it was a, a great town to be around. Type A personalities that want to be the best right now. You know, you're actually, you're spending time trying to slow them down. You know, coming from a law enforcement background, you know, not all, and, and so don't don't uh, don't beat me up, fellow police officers. Not all police officers. Some of them were in it for the T-shirt and the hat. They didn't really care about the process of the dog and being the best. And you go somewhere there, and everybody wants to be the best, but they want to be the best right now. <laughs> right. So you know, you're trying to, to mitigate and slow down and say, hey, okay, you, you can be really really good at what you're doing, but we got to get all, over this first, or this is coming up, so we got to make sure we take care of this first before you can go here. You know, don't don't shut don't. Uh, Cut the corners, you know. Don't don't shortcut yourself, and make sure you're learning to read these dogs the right way. And and then you can't because detection, as far as I'm concerned, is much harder than bite work. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. get the guys to read those dogs in the moment, you know. But once they do, once the once they get that picture and they got it, then they're off and running. Right. Absolutely. And you know, absolutely. Uh, I I I've trained I've trained uh, or I've been around and trained um, a lot of law enforcement handlers. And there, there are certain concessions, and the only and, and the concessions that I give and the uh, the approach that I take is is it, and it was again it was a blessing having to train or be involved with a lot of uh, when I was contracting a lot of uh, civilian law enforcement handlers, and I say that's civilian um, because you know I was in the military, but law enforcement handlers that went over and contracted, so I had to, I had to deal with those personalities and dynamics, and so I understand, and so that gave me kind of a, a frame of reference. And I, 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 I do give concessions because I understand, you know, there, there's a lot of really good, passionate law enforcement handlers out there that really want to do something good. But, you know, they're either one held back by their administration. They don't have the resources. They're, they're, they're trying to do good things. They're trying to be as proactive as they can. And they just don't they don't have the know how. And, 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 and that's, you know, for lack of a better term, man, that, that's kind of heartbreaking to me because. They just need a little bit. They just need to give them a little bit. And they're going to bite, and they're just going to just really, if they're passionate about it, they're really going to take that next that next uh, opportunity. It's funny you say that. I just I had kind of taken a little bit of a break from really participating in, in that LEO discussion group on Facebook, which is an absolutely gigantic uh, group at this point, and. Uh, it's uh, looking at the, there are questions every day. There are guys seeking help, seeking well, yeah. information, and they're they're seeking things because obviously they're not getting it at home. They're not getting it from their, their training group or, or whoever their trainer may be. And uh, some of the things are pretty basic and uh, it's it's alarming, very alarming. Of course, it's alarming when you're to the point where you're you're reaching for help through a Facebook discussion group because <laughs> there's no telling what you're going to get. Yeah, that in yeah. itself is yeah, some of the answers you need to throw out for sure. You know, that's when when I I started on a very small police agency. You know, they had you know four or five cops and and I, and they didn't have they didn't have a budget either. You know, training was just you know I had a great chief who supported the. Uh, the program, you know, we got, you know, a friend of mine helped me get the dog and we trained the dog up and, and then he would let me take the car places and sometimes pay for my hotel, but I had to pay for the course or vice versa. They'd pay for the course, but I had to pay for the hotel. 
you know, they did what they could with what they had. And that's what a, you know, a lot of small agencies don't even get that, you know, they, they right. go out and they, you know, their chief, I was just approached probably six months ago by a guy who is sheriff said, Hey, you know, get us a dog. You know, he doesn't know how to get a dog. So he went out and got a dog and went somewhere to a used car salesman and got a dog that he can't handle has no obedience. You know, it was a, a three or four week patrol class, you know, which we all know that's not near enough to be, to have a patrol dog. And so just really hamstrung him right from the get go. And, you know, he came to me with all these problems. I'm like, look, man, I, you need to go back to where you came from with those guys. You need to go back to your training place and not accept what you've got. Cause it's just, it's just wrong. Right. And I, I completely get it. And, you know, um, you know, my intent is definitely not to throw shade on any other um, company or business, but you know, there was a time when I, I, I saw the, the, it was very common or very typical for, for businesses and, and companies to like do put out a two week handlers course. And I was just like, I was like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm like, but you know what? Hey, that's a business strategy. And you know what? If you look at a very small uh, or or moderately small agency, they they are not going to pay for a canine handler to be gone for more than two or three weeks. Or they're not they're going to because you know what? At the end of the day, if that guy's on the clock, then they're paying somebody else to cover his shift, and so they're so I completely get it. But at the time, it was just like wow, man. That's like how do you put out at least a basic handler's course? in two weeks i'm like i couldn't even fathom doing that like right. it, it, in my mind it definitely did not make sense so um, in the situations where they do that they they try to pre-train the dog but again that's still not enough even then even yeah. then yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely well you know i guess i i could see uh, you know going through a two or three week course if you went back to a place that had a dedicated trainer oh you know, I, no, no 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 yes that yes. That, I, that i could I, I could see but you know like you know uh, kentucky uh, definitely full of small agencies and by no fault of their own. And, and please, I'm not beating anybody up when I say this, you know, they get these dogs, they go back and then they just have no resource to go to. Right. And next thing you know, they have an issue and they don't know how to fix that issue. So now you got all these training scars that they've created trying to, you know, quote, fix things. Right. Which, and they had no place to start. They have no, they had no picture to begin to even problem solve that. Cause you know, you're not, you're, you're a handler, not a trainer, you know? Right. You guys are all trainers. When, when did you consider yourselves dog trainers? You know, how many dogs did you have under your belt before you said, hey, I might be pretty good at this? You know? I just gave myself the title. No, man. I was, I was very, <laughs> like, you know, the, the funny thing is, Rich, is that they, they uh, you know, the guys, it, it, you know, I, I just never wanted to place that moniker, that, you know, uh, traditionally in the, the USASOC program, it's, you know, they have that moniker, the master, master trainer. And um, I, I was always just very reluctant to place that moniker, even even on my signature block, because I never, I, I did, I'm always constantly learning. I'm always constantly, I'm not training dogs, today, I'm not training dogs the same way I was training dogs six months ago. I'm not training dogs the same way I was doing two years ago. And, and, and absolutely, there was a dramatic shift in the way I was training dogs when I was before TSA to the way I'm training dogs now. So I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I, I discourage that moniker because some people are legitimate. I would, I would consider them as, as practitioners and like really good at what they do. But, you know, again, like at what point do you, you know, do, do you, uh, you know, do that, do that, you know, that, that personal reflection and say like, yeah, I'm a master trainer. 
I don't know. I just never felt comfortable doing that because I'm, I'm always trying to eat up what I can get from anybody else. So, A-Rod, I saw where you put a feeler out on that discussion group about video for selecting dogs. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So kind of the, that kind of segues into um, the previous conversation on that same group that we were talking about. Oh, the dogs, the integration with dogs and SWAT. Okay, so 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 fast forward. Yeah, so I put a feeler out. Because I felt like there was a lot of people. I got in conversation with a few uh, law enforcement agencies down here in Texas with some really young handlers, and they were telling me about their experiences about going to Louisiana and Michigan and and selecting dogs, and about how you know it was very challenging for them to go and do that process because their administration would say like, "Hey, you know, you only have so many days to go there. You got to turn around, pick the dog up, and come back. If you don't select a dog, then." It, it was just like uh, it was just so disheartening, man. I was just like, I'm like, are you serious? I I just couldn't fathom that 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 was a thing that that administrations and agencies have. Again, I'm I'm talking about the agencies that don't have a very strong trainer or a lieutenant that's that oversees their 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 program to go out and and select these dogs. And I started looking at and I started thinking. I'm just like, man, I've been selecting dogs for a while and I've recently developed a guide for myself and it was for more myself and that was spending that was because I spent enough time with the use of sock program that I just wanted to leave them something because I knew at some point when I stepped away from that I wanted to leave them with some sort of guide and I wanted to and every time I would go out and select dogs for them I would always at least take one of them with me and I would always tell them, say, like, look, this is what I look at. This is what I do. And I would video portions of that. Because when I'm gone, then the next person who steps in, at least they would have some sort of frame of reference. I never wanted somebody to be in a situation where they would go look at a dog or they say, like, okay, you've got to go select a dog for, you know, the Lithuanians or if they were on a mission or something and they were doing some, some uh, joint training with another uh, European country or another country that – they were in charge of, of helping them develop their own canine program that they would have a good frame of reference. So I started building this guide and then reflecting back on the, <laughs> the other programs that I had been involved with, I was just like, well, I can start injecting this, I can start injecting that. So I developed this kind of selection strategy. It's not a score sheet. It's just a guide. That's all it is. Sure, but but share with us what what I mean. I I know what my priorities priorities are when it comes to selecting right. dogs, and I've and I've done it for a while too. And I I feel like I feel like I'm good at it if I can do it on site and I and I have kind of free reign. I don't necessarily feel like I have to have free reign if I can if I can target some specific activities, right. and then I can make a determination. But I I have friends that have these really elaborate evaluations that that have they probably have eliminated dogs that they probably should have kept they've well, kept you know dogs. I, I think you, you said it earlier when you when you look at a score sheet mm -hmm. you know you're also scoring dogs based on training you know if, right if you got a if you got a ph1 you know he's going to go into a bark and hold and not leave a passive decoy you know but what about the dog that's running around the decoy but he doesn't know what he's doing but he didn't leave him so is that hard right training so you have to also read the dog versus reading a test well and also there are vendors that have stations that they've set up sure 
And these dogs, obviously, each time that dog has been demoed, he's going through that station. He should be coming, becoming more proficient at each station. So at, at his test. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now he so is trained to the stations, right? Right. So that, that's what I really will discuss uh, when sure. I do this presentation is any vendor can train for what if they know what your what your selection criteria is. Right. But my selection criteria, it's not it's not necessarily black and white. What I do is and again, and I like to emphasize this. I've I've developed this from from making some really bad mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, lessons learned by mistakes, right? Yeah. That's, that's how we learn. Yes. Yes, making some really bad mistakes and then kind of recalculating and figuring out a better way to do it. The biggest, the one, a couple of the biggest mistakes I find that some that some people that go out and select dogs for a program, I, I'm going to highlight a couple, maybe three in this conversation. And one of them is you select a dog that you like, that, that meets your needs. If you're going out to select a dog for, if I'm going out to select a dog for U.S. Marshals or State Department, or TSA or a soft program, those needs are could be divergently different. Mm -hmm. okay? Two, selecting a dog that you think is a very high octane dog that's going to work in that program, but that handler may not be able to handle that dog. You don't look at what is the in state who is going to be picking up that leash. What is what does the client want, and what is the expectation about who's going to be put behind that dog? So those those are some things that I, I I'll discuss and take into and, you know and highlight as far as who is the client who is the customer who where where do you expect this dog dog to go out for and the, the last one would be operational context is if I'm going to select a dog for use of sock versus seven selecting a dog that's going to be almost exclusively doing interdiction or doing you know um, street deployments versus a SWAT dog or a, you know, HTP, high threat protection, or whatever the case may be, you're going to look for different, there's going to be a, there's going to be some, some, some changes there in how you select that dog. But overall, and, and obviously that, you know, I'm not very, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself very strong in selecting nose dogs or substance detection dogs, but I, I, a lot of those attributes, there, there's some cross-pollination. If you have a dog that's super, uh, confident and agile, you're going to have a doll that's going to go and look for order anywhere, you know. So, so there is some there's some cross pollination there in the in the um, organic skill set of the dog. So, I you know I, that's what I'm saying. That's why I when I put that out there, it's it's a dual purpose dog, whether it's you know a, a you know narcotics dog, substance detection, or explosive dog. There's there's a high uh, frequency of success if you have a dog that's that's confident, agile, persistent, and resilient in environment and sound. It's going to do very well there's a higher degree of success for them to do very well if they're trained properly in, in substance detection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the way I get dogs now has changed. <clears throat> well, I'd say that I can't remember how many exactly, but maybe the last close to 10 dogs that I've selected over the past few years have been through video. Now, that's tricky business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because obviously, you to me, I feel like I have to have a relationship with the vendor to start with. Absolutely, and that's so, that was, that's, that's number one on that on that. If, you're, if I'm going video, we better have a relationship. Yeah. yeah. So it's Absolutely. a gentleman that I talked to for a year and a half before I ever pulled the trigger, and and I've said this on other podcasts and other situations, and it, I wanted him to know who I was, what my expectations were, just get a sense of you know of who I am, 
And I also wanted him to kind of understand that I feel like I'm fairly well connected. So in this community, so right. it's not just, so I wanted him to know that it, it would behoove him to send me quality right. dogs and, right. and, and not get jerked around. And, and I haven't been, but I will say that I've gotten some dogs where, you know, I kind of like, man, if I had an opportunity to spend a little time with that dog, with I probably would have gone. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, we've had to take situations where dogs were a little quirky and we had to we become better trainers, right? Learning how to get around those quirks. You're able to navigate those, those, right. those small, those small, whatever, whatever it is. You, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do, I do cover that or highlight that a little bit. I've gone into mm-hmm. situations where I've tested. If I had the best case scenario would be to be, to go and test a dog for, you know, an, an entire four or five days, you know, a lot of agencies and, 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 and departments don't have that luxury. No. They just, they just don't. And I've gone from extremes to, you know, some of the best Malinois that I've gotten um, were purchased from a guy in Mexico in, in, mm-hmm. over, in like in, in two days. And he said, like, well, I got to go, man. I got I got to go to Houston because there's another guy with it that was. So you either buy this dog or not. And I've taken risk like that. And so, so I've been able to, to develop it, it again. This is not, this, this, this stuff isn't science, man. Like, like there's no perfect way to test a dog. I mean, some guys think that they have the perfect, you know, God bless them. God bless them because, you know, time constraints, what your client wants, what you want. I mean, all those things converge at one point. And um, I've been the extremes of that. I've been, you know, the loose end of that. And so uh, the strategy is, is not very easy to follow. Um, there's some hard, there's some hard nose. There's some, you know, there's some, there, there's, there's some finesse there that you can use to make some modifications. And, you know, it, it, when I do this presentation, I'm going to show a video of one dog that I was a potential no, but I gave this dog a fighting chance because of everything else that was pristine with it. And uh, the, the maturity of the dog and the dog, you know, ended up being phenomenal at the end of the day. But it is. It's. It's not. It's not a. So, a go ahead. Was procurement a big part of what you did in your previous job? Yes. So one of the uh, in, in the statement of work is going and selecting selecting the dogs for the program. The interesting thing about that and how and uh, I got to be very cautious in how I explain this. I was able to build a relationship between a ten special forces group and the Department of Defense breeding program. And those are, those were long-standing relationships with Doc Hilliard and Jason mm-hmm. Dill and um, John Villanueva and some of these guys that have been down there working as civilians. Some of them were military, but they run that program down there at Lackland Air Force Base. I've had a long, um, long-standing relationship as one of my mentors, uh, Doc Stewart Hilliard, and so I always had a connection with them. And so I, when, when the conversations came up about two and a half, three years ago when I first started working for USASOC, they're like, man, they're like, hey, right, don't you know people down there? I'm like, yeah, I do. So I started slowly building a relationship with them. And, and several of the dogs, I would say some of the dogs that were that we were able to select and procure, apart from the 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 norm of the program, which we were dedicated to certain vendors, were, came from the, the breeding program. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go down there and test and select those dogs the way I wanted to. And understanding how the contracting world works, that is not always the norm 
with, with within USASOC. You go, they show the dogs. It can be written into the statement of work or the, the requirements about how the dogs are showed. And I completely get that. It, it, it is, you have a high volume of dogs that are coming through there. You have multiple, not agencies, but the, uh, the USASOC enterprise comes in there. You know, you know, you got every single group there. You got the Ranger Battalion there looking at these dogs. And so you're trying to be the most efficient and effective way about showcasing these dogs. I completely get that. Sure. I understand 100%. And you can. There, 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 there are good dogs that they showcase. There are, absolutely. But I felt like every single time I was like being rushed. I was being rushed through the process. And so it is, um, there are some, they, they do produce some phenomenal dogs. They, they are putting out great dogs, and, and, um, but there are, they were returns. There were dogs getting returned. You know, and, and 90%, at least from my point of view or my, uh, my optic or my one-dimensional perspective on, on what we were getting at the, the uh, organization I was working at, 90% of them were because of environmental issues. Right. It's always a big one because they're not, they're not working. They don't have them long enough to, to to work on it, you know. And that's that is the nature of it. I completely get it. I completely get it. And um, so going back and 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 discussing how to to set yourself up for success and selecting it, it is definitely going to come when I do this presentation. It's definitely going to come from that perspective. But absolutely, you can take any of those pieces and put them together and figure out which ones work for you. I feel like it's a, it's a, I want to say a miscarriage of justice, but a miscarriage of, a, of, of taking care of, of people that don't have that knowledge. And there's a lot of agencies out there that don't have that knowledge. They don't have at least something to go off of. And I don't want to call it a score sheet. It's definitely not a score sheet. I don't score anything. I look at, I, I like, look, this is what I want to look at. This is what I want to look at. And, and, and that's it. No, I get it. I completely understand that. I kind of feel like, Personally, I know it when I see it, and yeah. I could probably describe it to you, but I, I want to see it. And, right. and I kind of have a, a list of things in my head that I'm going to look at. Right. And, uh, right. yeah, I don't re necessarily need a score sheet. No, I, I do know of um, a situation, and it's probably been within the last year or two. It's probably been this past year where there's a young lady that had a dog, and dog had issues. She's in law enforcement, and uh the sad part is the dog ended up dying of bloat while she was away and she was able to get some experienced canine trainers behind her from other areas and uh, helped her go select a dog from a pretty well-known vendor. And then again, hooked her up with a, a very good trainer in Tennessee and uh, really put an um, almost a magical thing together for her. Yeah having gotten kind of a bad experience from the start. And uh, so I, I think that is a, a service that, that has some, some real value is that if guys will maybe put their pride aside and allow somebody with some experience to go help make a selection with them. I think that's, that's a valuable thing. And um, I will put this out there along with, uh, I'm sure it's the same. You feel the same way too. Anybody that wants to, like in the state of Texas, if they want me to come out and look at something or give them my honest opinion, I'll do that. But again, you know, you have to be in, intimately involved in the process. Right. I don't like to give advice to anybody over the phone. People send me videos sometimes. They're like, hey, what do you think about this? I don't know the baggage that this dog has. 
Right. I don't know. I don't know all the, the, the training background. I don't know. And so absolutely, you know, and um, I would I would be more than happy to help somebody out. It's, mm-hmm. it's just um, it, it is discouraging. But but what I like to see is that the guys that are out there that are looking, you know, you know, on that on that board, you guys know, uh, Rich and, and Howard on that board, you know, people are putting themselves out there. Which mm-hmm. is hot. You know, they're putting their ego aside, you know, if they're mm-hmm. hot, you know, <laughs> you know they're, they're putting their ego aside and, and like asking for help. And so that 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 can be that can be very challenging. And you know, being in this industry, it is it, you know it's it's it it can be challenging and cutthroat. And and uh, I'm really trying to with within my my small network in Spanish control. I'm really trying to change and and work a lot with people across the industry and just kind of just like hey, you know, um, it doesn't need to be. There's a there's a, one of my mentors always said like there's enough industry for everybody. And uh, mm-hmm. there absolutely is. We sometimes get in that, you know, this is mine or that's mine. Or, this is my tribe. That's my tribe. That's my guy. <laughs> don't, don't, don't talk to him. Right. So this past year, you teamed up with a, a young man that I consider a friend, Clover Street. Oh, Clover. Yeah. I yeah. Love Clover. That's, a, that's Black Lightning. They call him. <laughs> that's Black Lightning. Yeah. Uh, that's, so, uh, they call me the Frito Bandito. I call him Black Lightning. So Clover has been here and gotten beaten up by some of our dogs. Yeah. He's been here a couple He's times. Super talented guy. Super talented. And, uh, and you know what? And that's the thing, man. I, I you know, you, you meet people and you, I can just, uh, I consider myself a pretty good judge of character <laughs> and yeah. you meet somebody and I'm just like, you know, that, that guy's worth like having a conversation with. Sure. And then, and then you start talking. And then you start just like, okay, this guy isn't just like trying to get himself into the right, you know, the network. He is really passionate about what he does. He's one, he's super athletic, super talented. And he he knows just like I did when I when I started working with 10th Group. I was just like, look, man, you guys are the tacticians. You know, you guys use let me show you if you have a question, let me show you the way I I have an idea and how to help you. But at the end of the day, you're the tactician. You tell me what you need it to look like, and we, I can help you put it together. I can mm-hmm. help you get your dog to that point. And just like Clover is just like, hey, I'm not a law enforcement guy. I, what I bring to is sport work, and, and this is what, what I need, you know, what I can show you. And the basic mechanics and fundamentals of, of, of bite work, you know, he, he has all that. He has all the... the 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 genesis, you know, I in one of my, in my I do a street level one and two course where I, I break down, you know, the genesis of of sport dogs and and how that 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 converges on police dogs and military dogs and how we take from that. That's that's kind of the the the, the where we get all our foundational work. It, it doesn't matter whether it's a sport dog, law enforcement dog, military dog. All that foundational work is is all the same from puppy development, all that. And so he really helps me break that down. He has a really good mind for that. Yeah, he's he's just an an honest guy. You know, I'm I'm all about working with working with guys that that are just gonna just put out one, um, are, are two are committed to the work, and you know, we work really good. We we just we just really work good to do, together. And so I've been um, I've been really fortunate to to do a few courses with him. And um, typically, when I have more than eight working spots. All I got to do is just pick up the phone. I said, hey, can you be in Abilene, Texas in two weeks? And he just says, I'm there. 
and he knows I'm always going to take care of him, and he's and he shows up and he's ready to put out. So. Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to get that simpatico with Rich. He's just really difficult to work with, though. <laughs> that's, that's very hurtful. That was very hurtful. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good canine conference? Hey, guys, I'm pleased to announce the Thin Blue Line Conference is our newest sponsor. Thin Blue Line Conference is an annual educational three-day conference started by Joe Lukowski, who is an active canine handler with the Pocono Mountain Regional Police Department. It was started solely for law enforcement officers and military personnel. This year, it will be held on May 2nd through the 4th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They offer a variety of classes with an impressive instructor lineup as well as an array of top-notch vendors. To ensure their attendees are up to date with the ins and outs of the canine industry, they are constantly making sure their class schedule reflects this. Some new instructors this year include Kenny Williams with Interdiction, Mike Nesbeth, Mike Lilly, and Steve White, to name a few. Attendee and vendor registration is now open, as well as a variety of sponsorship opportunities. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to have a great time with fellow brothers and sisters in blue, as well as further educate yourself to keep you and your canines safe. Register at thinbluelineconference.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram for continuous conference updates. And I and I could say I could say the same for you know a lot of other guys that I worked with. Um, you know, uh, Brady Smith. Yeah, know, uh, Brady. Uh, uh, Brady, I could just say like, hey man, you want to get down on this and. Mm-hmm. He would be just like, yeah. What do you, what do you need me to do? So, there, yeah. There's definitely those guys that are just kind of plug and play for me, and and they have the integrity, and and I, I know they're going to put out and, and 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 be professionals. That's that's what I need. At the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to build a legacy. Every everybody doesn't want their name running in the dirt. But anybody that I work with, man, I, I just got to be. I got to have that good woo-saw feeling and know that that they're going to be professional. And because that's 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 pretty big, that's pretty big for me. It it really is because I want to work with guys that are professional, that are going to put out, and that um, th- that that are coming from a good place, you know, in their heart and 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 putting out good product. Product. Uh, Eric Stambro. Eric Stambro. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good. You know, you know, you guys know him. Who else? Billy Sawyer. Love that guy. Mm-hmm. Billy. Billy is really good people, man. And. Um, Again, you know, you guys know this. This industry is about all about vouching for other people, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and it is. And I, you know, this is this is a. I think this is a new generation going into twenty twenty three. There's going to be some 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 great people putting out some great doing some great things out there. So I'm pretty excited. Yep, I'm, I'm interested to see where the for the year goes as well. That's I think it's going to be really interesting. I agree with you. So you're in another transition period. So tell us what what you're developing now. Well, you know, I, I run Old Republic. Canine Apparel Company, and it's so funny because I was on uh, Working Dog Radio probably about a year and a half ago, and Eric Eric was just like making fun of me. He's just like, "Man, that's the worst thing you can do is start a t-shirt business." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm a glut for punishment." <laughs> you know, I made some pretty bad business decisions, you know, in my in my life, but I've I've learned a lot. So this it's kind of a niche kind of business. Uh, I, all we do is just performance wear. It's all Republic of Canine Apparel Company. We just we just do performance wear, so we don't we don't do you know the typical like uh, cotton t-shirts. It's all like a performance wear, so it's hoodies, uh, shorts, t-shirts. But it's it's pair with an attitude. It's all kinds of stuff, man. We just do mm-hmm. you know the, the cool logos on it, but um, you know specific for law enforcement, military, special operations. So we're having fun with that. I, I just really it's just it's a ho- it's it's a hobby for me. I, I really enjoy it. Just putting you know put together cool designs. And putting them out there, and uh, actually, we're 
getting ready. We just donated probably about $500 in merch to the United States War Dog Association. It's Chris, Chris Willingham, uh, the president of the United States War Dog Association. They're having their, um, their annual, well, their inaugural Canine Veterans Day event, raffle event in Washington, D.C. in March. So we've, we have a really good relationship with Chris Willingham, former prior uh, active duty uh, U.S. Marine. Master Sergeant Chris Willingham. So we're sending him a bunch of merch to, to, to raffle off. Very cool. So that's Old Republic of Canine Apparel Company. And then what we're, myself and my wife, Michelle, my, my gorgeous and beautiful wife and very supportive wife. <laughs> she, yeah, she's so funny. She just gives me a hard time all the time, but she's the one that keeps me straight. She, we are both launching Oro Canine Services, which we're, we're going to do boarding trains. So, uh, we just bought a 3.2 acre property in Paris, Texas, and we're launching our board and train business in, in Paris. We're servicing Northeast Texas. So some clients will be taking clients from the, on the East Dallas metropolitan area. So board and trains. So, um, and again, I, you know, I, I take that back to, to working with some of the guys in the, the soft community and, and, you know, guys like Clover, just learning, you know, marker training and getting really just immersing myself in that. It, even a little bit of that napopo, a little bit of that, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. It's just all just good, good, you know, just just shaping behaviors, man. So um, I've been able to just really dive into just putting out. And I did that recreationally while I was in Colorado for a few clients that were referrals. And, I, man, I wasn't charging them nothing, like $40 a session, you know, bring your dog, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, people always ask me, like, why don't you start your own business? I'm like, I, I don't have enough time. Right. Um, I'm, I'm like, if, if I start taking clients and I didn't have the room, I was living in a suburb community of Monument, Colorado. I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to board and train dogs. I don't have the room to board and train dogs. I was too busy with, you know, the program. But then I started, um, you know, apart from doing the street level courses and, you know, the, the, this new course I, started, I, I just launched or getting, getting, uh, getting a lot of uh, attention with is a shoot move and survive course. I started getting a lot of interest in, 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 in the courses. And so I knew at some point that I was going to have to make a decision. Like I was going to leave the use of soft programming, either go do this full time, or I was just going to say, Hey, I don't, I just don't have the time. Last year I had I did six courses last year, six courses. And you, you, you think of that with doing and rich, you, you probably know this PMT, you know, full motion pro full mission profiles. You just don't have the time, man. It's just like, oh, no. it's, and then you look and, you, and your travel schedule. It's just exactly. Yeah, it gets ridiculous. So, you know, the the wife and I sat down and we prayed about it. And had, you know, it had some really hard conversations and and we, you know, we had to make a decision like but if we're going to make this, if we're going to do this, we either do it now or we wait another two or three years. And the market in Colorado, the housing market was you know, was, 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 was perfect for us to, to dip out and just really just turn around and invest that money. So that, that's, that's really how it played out. And, and uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely blessed that we were given that opportunity and, and you know, I got a hundred percent support from the wife and, and um, so we've been able to, so right now I'm working on my 30 by 40 training facility and getting that done to start bringing on clients for board and trains, but I will still continue to do courses the frequency of it will probably, you know, it's either feast or famine, you know, sure. you'll get like, I have like 
four or five coming up in the next few months. But yeah, it's so I know that that'll that'll. But I, I I'm I'm this year I've given myself the opportunity. We're giving ourselves the opportunity to kind of figure out what that threshold is in balance. Nice, sounds good. Well, it's it's always uh, it's tough starting your own thing. You know, business is uh, is uh, hard at best. You know, because in the end, you have to look at yourself in the mirror when things aren't going well, right? Because there's oh, there's absolutely. no one else out there to blame. So, but it's you know you learn a lot of lessons. It's very rewarding. You know, my wife and I were in in uh, ten years now with Double H, and you know, like you said, it's it's been a there's been some huge swings. You know, both good and bad, and and lo- lucky for us, the last five six years have been all in the upswing. You know? So, uh, I wish awesome. the, I wish you the best of luck with that. Is you know, your your product always speaks for itself, and it's time tested. That's the market always tells you if you're good enough, right? And when, oh, people, when people come, that's that's how you know. You can do all the marketing you want, and there's all kinds of little things that you can you can you can <laughs> tweak a little bit. But in the end, it's it's what your clients say about you, and it's the word of mouth. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, and it gets me it gives me the ability to kind of share as a, as we go into 20, 2023, You know, to share my experiences and and kind of kind of provide, you know, some, some good practices that I've been able to, to work with guys within the use of sock program. You know, again, this, my new, uh, it's not even new, my shoot, move and survive course. It, it, you, again, going back to guys that have, have a hard time selecting dogs or agencies that don't have access to selecting dogs. You'd be surprised even on the law enforcement side about how uh, some of these smaller agencies, they've never had their dog out on, on, the, on, the, sh- on the range to shoot right. her. And, and it's, I'm just like, really? And, <laughs> and uh, so this strategy that I've developed or this, this plan that I've developed is, is, is as a result or the, the, the flourishing of, of working intimately with a lot of uh, use of sock uh, guys that have been shooting with dogs and, and SWAT operators. But of course, I, I've been kind of just like working on it for the for the last you know decade and a half of figuring out what are the best ways to get dogs on the range to shoot with dogs to increase the sub survivability of handlers when they get into a high threat situation. So we're rolling that out this year. We got we're, we're showcasing it. Well, we showcased it last year at the U.S. Army Military Working Dog Symposium. Uh, we were able to do that for one day. Um, I, I wish we would have had more more time to that, and then. And um, I'll have a course running in Abilene, Texas with Abilene PD in March. And then in April, I'll be in Indiana with, uh, with Jennings County Sheriff's Office doing a, a course there. So again, it's, it's a great opportunity, you know, to, to, to provide some insight into some of these things that, you know, guys, I don't want to say guys my age, but seasoned, seasoned guys are seeing some of these, some of these holes in programs and, and, and to go out there and provide them and not, and not be put in a situation to where you know we're, you know, expecting a a huge return on it. Like my my courses are so cheap, and it's it's just like somebody was asking me the other day, like, what do you charge? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is this is because you know, I, of course, I got to pay the bills, but I'm not I'm not out there just like charging you know like some exorbitant amount of money. It's just, but hey, it is what it is. Well, man, it sounds like you got a, a lot of good things in the works for 2023, and we wish you the best of luck. No, absolutely, and I, I look forward to, to seeing you guys at, at Blue Line. Well, we'll be there, and how, uh, just, uh, for, you know, for those that don't know you, the folks out there, how can they reach out to you? Give us uh, your, your social media stuff, and, you know, what's okay, the best way so to contact you? Can, 
So you can look up um, Olive underscore Branch K9 on social media uh, through Instagram and Oro, Oro, O-R-O underscore K9 Services on Instagram and then Oro K9 Workwear on Instagram. And yeah, you'll find me there. And uh, So you guys check him out and get a shirt at least. Come on now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then uh, anybody can also always reach out to me, man. Uh, you know, I don't have no problem giving out a call. 210-885-2016. It's a San Antonio number. I've had it for for, for at least 20 years. But um, I'm in Paris, Texas, Oro Canine Services, uh, serv- servicing Northeast Texas, pet training, pet training needs, uh, obedience, and all that stuff, potty training, pets, uh, and then also through old Olive Branch Canine. So I'll be providing training services. For for at least this year, we're we're talking about converging that back and putting it back into oral canine services, just to be exclusive with that. But uh, again, do not hesitate. And again, I will have uh, I'm going to be putting out that that uh, that presentation on, on canine selection. Yeah, that'll be good. Cool. Look forward to seeing it, man. And on that, and then um, yeah, absolutely, it was great great talking to you guys. God bless you. Again, it's it's a great opportunity to sit down and and, and talk. And talk and have like real candor conversations about things going on in the industry. Yeah. Well, thanks. We appreciate you coming on. We really do, man. It was a yeah. pleasure meeting you. Thanks yeah. for your time. All right. All right, Howard, Rich. We'll see you guys. Rod seemed like a really good, nice guy, kind of in a transition period. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what I, I really enjoyed was when he said him and his wife sat down and prayed about their, their, their next business thing. You know, yeah. I, I like it when, when guys, put their faith out there. You know, that's something that's important to me and my wife. And, and I really thought that was really, really cool uh, that he did that. That was a clue. Absolutely. I was a horrible detective <laughs> on the police department, but that was definitely a clue. Absolutely. <laughs> so tonight I picked Angel's Envy. We've done the Angel's Envy Rye. Right, right. And, okay. Uh, yeah. The regular Angel's Envy. And you know what? I, I didn't realize it was quite as, we're not going to call it hot, but it is hot from the proof standpoint. So it is, you know, it's above 100, 100 proof. Well, you know, the rye's are always sweeter. Mm-hmm. And then so what, 100 proof? So is it? I think it's like, I have to look it up, but I think it's like 117, something like that. Okay. All right. It, it, it is a little hotter. So it's very popular here. I think it's popular across the board among bourbon drinkers. Oh, I think so, too. I think that's one for, for everybody's uh, bar to have a little angels in, but you can't go wrong. No, not a bad gift either. Oh, absolutely not. You know, I was looking on uh, the bourbon bar today, and I, I've been really fortunate. I have quite a few gifts up there. Uh, yeah, I did, I did pretty well for Christmas, so have some decent. Well, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't make out like a bandit at Christmas, but my birthday's coming up ag- again this weekend. So it's been a year since my, you know, our big bash here. Yeah, yeah. I made I made out like a bandit then. So yes, you did. You had some. There's some nice, uh, some good friends, some good bourbons. Were, were... Yeah. Collect it there. Well, very good. Well, as always, my friend, here's to the hair of the dog that bit you. You and your lovely wife have a great afternoon, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.